Welcome to Mimble Wimble the Harry Potter podcast. I'm Aishwarya. I'm Prashantini. We're on season 3 episode 7. Today's episode is called Hermione Slaps Malfoy. We're going to cover chapter 14 Snape's grudge and chapter 15 the Quidditch final. But before we get started, let's have a quick summary. After Sirius Black almost attacks Ron, more steps are taken to increase Hogwarts security. Sir Cadogan is out, the fat lady is back along with security trolls to protect her. Hagrid tells Ron and Harry that Hermione had been helping him to argue for Buckbeak for their case against the committee for the disposal of magical creatures. He also tells them to value the friendship they have with her, but they promptly hatch up a plan that Hermione doesn't get behind. Harry visiting Hogsmeade using the invisibility cloak. Ron and Harry visit Zonko's, the post office and the shrieking shack. All would have been fine if Harry had not reacted to Malfoy's comments about the Weasley family by throwing muck at him. He almost gets into serious trouble with Snape, but Professor Lupin rescues him and admonishes him for being careless. He also reveals that he knows the makers of the Marauders map. A shocked Hermione informs Harry and Ron that Buckbeak's execution date is set. and somehow this bad news unites the trio finally right in time for the quidditch final gryffindor wins the quidditch cup and harry feels that that moment is probably the happiest moment of his life hmm did i forget something oh yeah hermione doesn't show up for the charms class and quits divination quite dramatically she also overhears malfoy talking shit about hagrid and just slaps him just slaps no questions no explanations As with everything, Hermione is better than Harry and Ron at Teenage Rebellion too. Ding ding ding. Chapter thirteen ends in a very shocking Nancy Drew-like manner when we find out that Neville Longbottom is the reason that Sirius Black was able to break into Gryffindor Tower. But when we pick up in chapter fourteen, J.K. Rowling moves into narration mode and tells us what's happening around the castle is a direct consequence of Sirius Black breaking into Gryffindor Tower. Some of them are funny. like professor flitwick teaching the doors how to recognize the picture of sirius black for some reason i imagine the doors like dogs i don't know why some of it is not so funny knowing that professor mcgonagall punishes neville for his mistake i'm using air quotes here to people who can't see me which is everybody in the world except prashanti right now but i love that jk rowling doesn't miss the opportunity to take a dig at filch even when all of this is happening she describes about how he's bustling around boarding up even mouse holes after Sirius Black breaks into the castle for not the first time but the second time <laughs> it's actually interesting that you called it nancy drew mystery except mm-hmm. if it were a nancy drew mystery i think everybody would have come to a conclusion that maybe neville is working with sirius black or something <laughs> no i meant it in the sense that in nancy drew mysteries and in the hardy boys Every chapter ends on like a cliffhanger usually with Nancy or like Frank or Joe in like some kind of mortal peril situation which will get solved in like the first sentence of the next chapter. Door opens we don't know who's coming through with knife and then it'll turn out to be like her father or something. In the last episode I made a point about how Flitwick teaches the Hogwarts front doors to recognize Sirius Black's picture and I mentioned that they should have done a better job of training Sir Cadogan that way too. but mm-hmm. after reading this i realized that i got mixed up this incident only happens in this chapter it doesn't happen previously so <laughs> it kind of means that 
the security situation was even worse than i thought yes. i mean if they knew that this was an option why didn't they do it earlier exactly that's my whole problem with this part as well why didn't flitwick teach the doors earlier why isn't filch boarding up rat holes earlier why does sirius black have to break into the castle the second time for all of this to happen yeah. right and sir cadigan doesn't even get a second chance unlike like the doors sir cadigan gets sacked because he's a dumb dumb <laughs> and the fat lady is installed again uh, we're told that she was restored by expert restorers but she's still very nervous about taking up the positions so they hire a bunch of security trolls to hang out with her again why wasn't this done before why couldn't you hire security trolls earlier i can get behind that because the only other time that we read about trolls in this whole series was in the first book when they were painted to be really dangerous and the next thing we know we are reading about security trolls it's interesting that jk rowling doesn't do much to you know explain the thought process i think she understands that the readers are smart enough to connect the dots still they are dangerous creatures and having them around so many students may not be a great idea they are just like dementors and i am fine with having them as the last resort except the last time sirius black came he ripped apart fat lady's portrait mm-hmm. it was that close it's not a big leap that he took here right now <laughs> so exactly. maybe these actions could have taken after the last time at least yeah i agree with you the one good thing to come from all this is that ron is finally getting the attention that being harry's friend he never got because he sees harry getting attention all the time and i like that he's getting the attention and enjoying it <laughs> yeah he does come off a little bit like an attention seeker he's just narrating the story of how he woke up in the middle of the night and saw serious black and screamed to anybody and everybody who asks him about it yeah. but i like that even when he tells the story he's not trying to make it seem like and then you know i picked up my wand and i was going to curse him but he ran away before i could turn on him i i like that he doesn't add or ex- exaggerate the story funnily enough i think something very similar happens in book 4 and mm-hmm. that time he does exaggerate yes he does See, I'm going to bring this point up later and say Ron has changed. <laughs> uh, I think you can still bring it up because I don't think anybody, including us, would remember. Yes. And poor Neville, he just can't catch a break. Whatever he tries, somehow it ends up becoming much worse than, than it would be for anyone else. I think it's extremely unfair of McGonagall to punish Neville. Yes, he screwed up. He shouldn't have written down the passwords and left them lying around. but so did they the adults who are supposed to keep the kids safe no matter what they are doing he did not leave the passwords of the front gate of hogwarts lying around <laughs> i mean he left them out for the gryffindor common room right giving him detention should have been enough i feel like forbidding anyone from giving him the password is a little bit too much yeah i don't know how that would be helpful and now that fat lady is back she's not going to have like crazy passwords and crazy number of times the password changes and all so in other news hagrid is going to argue for bugbeak in the case against the committee for the disposal of magical creatures and he's going to take bugbeak on the night bus with him <laughs> i would have loved to see the interaction between stan shanpike and bugbeak yes <laughs> i think it would be extremely entertaining yeah missed opportunity i love that hagrid is the one to invite harry and ron over and give them like the updates on his life primarily because it turns out to be not just you know like a hey tell me what's happening in your life i'll tell you what's happening in my life kind of catch up 
but it's actually an intervention hagrid is intervening on hermione's behalf and not because hermione asked him to intervene but because he's a true friend to all three of them i know that obviously he has years and years of adulthood on these three but i like how he's able to like assert everybody's point of view in the middle of the conversation and i especially like how he shuts them up with i thought you two would value your friend more than broomsticks or rats yeah there is no answer it's a very simple message very effectively and succinctly put and i think that i don't know what ron feels about it but i know that harry would be affected by it the fact that he was placing more importance on his broomstick than on his friend that's one of my favorite quotes for some reason when you take a book there are only a few quotes from the book you always remember so far in this funnily enough it has been happiness can be found even in the darkest of situations which is not a book quote at all wait it's not it's not Oh, I didn't know that. We are reading the book right now. I thought maybe it'll come in the future or something. I know that it comes in the third movie, right up in the beginning, but that's not a book quote. Neither is for in dreams we enter a world that's entirely our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says that when they're having that massive sleepover in the Great Hall. He says that in the movie. It's such a profound sounding but meaning nothing quote. Dumbledore has so many quotable quotes. Why would they need to invent a new one for him? Yeah, exactly. But I think most of his quotable quotes come later in the series. There are a lot in the first book ending the last chapter when Harry and Dumbledore talk. But after that, slim pickings. But even though Hagrid starts his really amazing dialogue with Harry and Ron, it quickly devolves into Quidditch talk. And then when Harry and Ron come back to the castle, they find out that a Hogsmeade visit is planned for the following weekend and Ron's like hey you know like let's just do what we did last time you use your cloak use the passage behind the witch with the hump meet me in Hogsmeade and we'll hang out and Harry is like really tempted which i think might be the first truly rebellious thing that he has ever done i'm saying this only because Sirius Black is broken for the second time and everybody thinks that Sirius mm-hmm. Black is after Harry yeah right harry thinks that sirius black is after harry and everybody is working on protecting him there are security trolls there are dementors in the grounds and harry is planning on breaking out of the castle to go to a village to buy like supplies at a joke shop and sweets hermione is the only one with the right idea about harry going to hogsmeade like how could he after you know sirius broke into the dorm and confronted ron with a knife and then they get angry at hork yeah The saddest part is as soon as the whole interaction with Hagrid is over the very next interaction they have with Hermione she spitted against them as their enemy who is someone who doesn't let them do what they want yeah no fun hermione who's <laughs> always saying sensible things like why are you endangering your lives i'm also surprised that harry has completely forgotten about how he feels about Sirius Black he's gone back to the defense slash fearful mode rather than the whole i'll find him and i will kill him mode yeah which is okay as well i also think that maybe harry just he's a 13 year old boy i think he just want to leave the castle and pretend to just be a normal 13 year old boy for once no i totally get where he's coming from obviously he would want to go my thing is i thought maybe he'd want to go to catch sirius black oh okay yeah i guess that phase is over for harry because The plans that he makes just involves going to like Zonkos. So the next morning Ron sets off to Hogsmeade and Harry like hurries to the one-eyed witch with the hump only to run across Neville over there. 
and then snape and then he has to like lose snape and then he has to lose neville who wants to write an essay about vampires and is wondering what vampires do with garlic like do they eat it or, or something can you imagine if you had to trick vampires into eating garlic every time <laughs> and then after like losing neville harry has to take his cloak climb down the passage go all the way to honey dukes climb out from honey dukes find ron in hogsmeade i got tired just reading about this whole process you of- look tired <laughs> if i were harry i would have just given up like the minute snape also found me outside the statue of the one eyed crone As a kid, especially if you want something, you'll go to any lengths to get it. And Harry really wanted some Zonkos merch. I actually like the way J.K. Rowling described Zonkos. Mm-hmm. There were jokes and tricks to fulfill even Fred and George's wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and they pick up some funny sounding things. Dung bombs. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it does sound cool. But I'm glad that J.K. Rowling doesn't waste too much time explaining what each artifact is, what each suite is and everything. If we had gone into those details, I would have surely lost interest. <laughs> I'm really interested in those details. Purely because J.K. Rowling's sense of humor tends to show itself when she's describing items like, say, in joke shops and stuff. One of the things that I'm most sad about is that we never really go back to Weasley's Wizarding Weezes. And we don't get to see in detail all of the different types of merchandise that they do have. So I was a little upset that, you know, there's not a lot of description about Zonkos. But I was also glad that Harry and Ron had moved on from the owls in the post office. Like, I I do not care about the owls <laughs> in the post office, even a little bit. But the important thing is they see an owl that's very tiny. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. I realized <laughs> that. Then they wander out away from Hogsmeade to stand outside and look at a haunted shack. The most haunted place in Britain. So haunted that the Hogwarts ghosts avoid it. In the movie, Hermione and Ron are not fighting during this phase. But they turn the scene into some kind of a romance between the two of them. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they're discussing like the hauntedness. But then I think Malfoy comes and taunts them about them living together in that house. Instead of in the book where he says something nasty about the Weasleys as usual. He asks Ron if he's planning on moving into the Shrieking Shack because it's bigger than his current house. Yeah. Poor insult considering that Malfoy has not even seen Ron's current house. But as usual, like the boys get like worked up at everything Malfoy says, which is all that he really wants in life. Like he comes and like yeah. he just rattles off some nonsense and everybody's like, yes, <laughs> I will get mad about it. Except they're in this situation where they can actually play a prank on him. And I'm both proud of Harry for utilizing the situation to play a prank on them. But also like if you just used your wand none of this would have happened like none of what subsequently happens would have happened oh i can't believe harry picked up like foul smelling green sludge throw it at malfoy like that is disgusting also if he'd used his wand to cast the spell he would have never gotten made just saying i just think that harry doesn't know what spell to use he could have used any spell expelliarmus fine <laughs> but it's not as funny i agree this is quite funny Malfoy is literally the only person who can make Harry get so worked up that he would act without thinking, without bothering about the consequences. Even though at this stage, things get escalated really quickly. Once Malfoy catches a glimpse of Harry when his coat slips, you immediately know that the consequences are dire. But up until then, he doesn't even think of it. Malfoy has been really nasty this year and any and... all opportunity to get back at him they just lose their minds over it i cannot imagine how freaked out malfoy must have felt though to see a harry head in mid air 
Like yeah. he doesn't know that Harry has an invisibility cloak, and for all he knows, Harry was in the castle, and then suddenly he sees like a head floating in midair. Like my God! But seriously, also, are any of them wizards? When he sees this, Malfoy's response is to like turn and run. You can't tell me that he couldn't have possibly known like the right spell because they learned Petrificus Totalus in their first year. Hermione uses it on Neville in their first year. I don't think Malfoy is a stand and fight type of guy. and he must have thought that the head floating magic must be a really serious dark magic it's just unbelievable that his first response is to like turn and run but that's malfoy i think yeah i guess it is malfoy in this chapter itself you can see that it's not in malfoy's nature to retaliate or to even fight back if he sees that his victim is responding to his aggression in an equally aggressive manner yeah I mean he's a typical bully he can only bully when the victim is weaker than him. In this situation he runs back to the castle. Harry should have figured immediately who he would have run to but he doesn't. He just decides to just go back to the castle. He goes back to Honeydukes, he takes the cellar route, then he climbs out from behind the crone and Snape is already there. The interesting thing is Snape always acts as if he knows exactly what Harry is thinking about. He knows exactly what Harry is up to. Even before Harry gets into Hogsmeade, the first time they meet, he sees Snape examining the witch statue, as if he knows that something about this is what attracted Harry here. I can't tell what it is. It could either be that Snape is now an astute predictor of teenage behavior because of all the years that he's been a teacher, or this is borrowing from future knowledge. We know that Snape can read minds. Exactly. I don't know how much of it is. He's literally just. You know, like skimming the surface of Harry's mind and realizing that Harry is agitated about the place that they're in, yeah, and not necessarily just at seeing him. I think it's the latter. I think he literally reads Harry's mind. We don't know enough about mind reading in the Harry Potter verse to know like how it works. Sort of like legilimency is not talked about as much as occlumency, which is like explored in Book Five, right? Yeah, but I do enjoy it when talks about like the peculiar sensation that the opposite person can read minds. Like he's like. Harry has this peculiar sensation that Dumbledore can read minds mm. or that Snape can read minds and it's funny when i reread the books because i know that they can yeah <laughs> and i always wonder if at that moment they actually were i think so i think the only way you can possibly say that information at that point is if harry feels it so when he says it we have to take it at face value yeah in which case it's an excellent wink to rereaders yeah i definitely think so and snape promptly takes harry to his own office and i like the description of snape's office harry had only been in here once before and he had been in very serious trouble then too snape had acquired a few more horrible slimy things in jars since last time all standing on shelves behind his desk glinting in the firelight and adding to the threatening atmosphere yes that is quite funny snape never treats harry like a student They never have the teacher-student kind of relationship. It's almost as if Snape thinks Harry is an equal, and he's just a person that Snape doesn't like. So, whenever he says something like the famous Harry Potter bit, everyone from the Minister for Magic downwards has been trying to keep famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black, but famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. So, when he says this, it's very apparent that Snape just. hates harry as a person it's not coming out of a place of you know love or care it's coming out of ego and envy it's a uh, kind of weird that snape sees harry as an equal it's very sad when you think about it 
because i think until then people who love harry and people who love harry's father james keeping him in his memory and everything that's a whole different story but holding a grudge against someone who's died a long time ago and projecting all that into this young boy <laughs> and treating him as someone who you should be envious about or or treating him as a competition is the silliest thing that a teacher can probably do i agree it's one heck of a grudge and because snape looks at him as an adult harry is forced to think of himself as an adult and he is forced to accept blame and responsibility for things that he never did harry going to hogsmeade on a whim is completely different than snape's assumption about how harry thinks really big of himself and he really doesn't care for authority and he's like defying everybody on purpose it might be a small difference in terms of actions but for harry that's like a moment where he has to make himself a little more grown up to process this kind of hate coming from someone like snape but it's not new for harry i'm just saying that when you have these kind of interactions continuously even when you're a child you're not a child that's a really good point that i didn't think about before because the moment that harry yells at snape it's like something in snape just like snaps and he just like vomits out information about harry's father before he can rein himself in and suddenly become like teacher snape again i think the moment where he says empty your pockets is where he switches from his unfiltered hatred of harry to okay i am a teacher dealing with a student who did something that's against the rules type of thing i would disagree i think even at that point he's making a calculated move to just get harry out of the school he's almost like malfoy which is why he's like i will incriminate you empty your pockets harry empties his pockets full of zonko's merchandise and even before that the conversation that they have is amazing yeah snape is like an awful human being but he can really frame his uh, arguments well he wants to get a rise out of harry also how extraordinarily like your father you are potter Snape said suddenly, his eyes glinting. He too was exceedingly arrogant. The small amount of talent on the Quidditch pitch made him think he was a cut above the rest of us too. Strutting around the place with his friends and admirers, the resemblance between you is uncanny. My dad didn't strut," said Harry before he could stop himself, "and nor do I." And that's when Harry yells that you only hate my father because he saved you, and. Snape stops being calculative and the information about the circumstance in which James allegedly saved Snape he vomits it like you said he talks about how the situation itself was created by his father and his friends he was not some big hero that saved Snape but he was just trying to save his own neck and the neck of his friends which is very interesting i think i will talk a lot about it in the fifth book but this is one of the reasons why i love harry potter I know this is a cliche dialogue to say there's no black and white it's a lot of gray but I don't think any book has done it so <laughs> well someone who celebrated for so many years whose memory is being held as like some kind of a hopeful or inspirational thing by so many people it gets tarnished not for the people but for Harry to whom it matters the most and I love that it happens because I feel like that gives Harry more perspective about what's right and what's wrong than anything else Sorry for the detour. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think Harry Potter is the first book in which I realized that the truth is not absolute and completely relative. Like over time we find out a lot of things 
about Harry's parents. But what doesn't change is that what people have been saying right from the beginning about them is true. But the fact that they were not always nice or great people is also true. Yeah. It's so much like reality to see that everybody around him only remembers the good parts. Obviously, they are going to tell Harry only the good parts. And Snape is the only person who tells him the bad part about his parents. I also think that we should discuss this particular point about people talking only good things about the dead and not necessarily the parts of them that they remember but don't show them in the same light. At the end of book 7, I have a lot of feelings about this. Especially related to a character we were just talking about. Dumbledore? Snape. Yeah, yeah, correct. Dumbledore also gets like a moment where all the bad things about Dumbledore that he was trying to hide come out into the open. Snape never does. Fan base is like obsessed with Snape to like some unbelievable level. And I also think that just because someone has done bad things and it gets revealed doesn't mean that they are immediately a bad person. A bad person or they are not monsters. It's just that absolutely pure people just don't exist. Yeah. I like that Harry tries to be that. But it's definitely a lesson I learned from Harry Potter. It's interesting to see that when Snape asks Harry to turn out his pockets and he sees that parchment, he has an inkling about what it is. He's aware actually because he knows that it's not just any old bit of parchment. He immediately tries to like use his magic and make something happen. And I think it's really telling the phrase that he uses. He calls himself the master of the school, <laughs> which I think might be what really sets off the parchment. Yeah. First off, I can't believe that, you know, there is an edge case for Snape like encoded in the parchment. But there is apparently, in my opinion, Mooney's insult is the best one. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Everybody else gets very personal. It's like slimy hairball. It's the same thing as abnormally large nose. At least that sounds like a dis- literal description. J.K. Rowling keeps talking about Snape's hook nose. It's normalized. Yeah. But yeah, the insults are hilarious. But the funny part is, Harry doesn't get a lot of chance to get behind any of this because even then he's in such a dire situation that he literally closes his eyes. He doesn't want to see what the last insult is. Yes. <laughs> And the last insult isn't actually that bad. It's quite tame. Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair, the slime ball. But he doesn't have to actually say anything because Snape immediately reacts. When he sees the names on the parchment, he like summons Lupin. And it's clear that us and Harry do not have vital information for this scene because the conversation that Snape and Lupin have is meant to be only understood by like repeat readers. <laughs> yeah. When he asks Lupin if... He got the parchment directly from the manufacturers. It's very astute because I bet that Snape actually doesn't really know the connection. He's just guessing. Yeah, I'm sure. And Lupin also thinks really fast on his feet. It really helps that Ron like comes running in at this point to just say that he gave Harry everything and he got it at Hogsmeade the last time. No one wonders how Ron knew where to come. Yeah. They just <laughs> go with it. <laughs> and Lupin just like sweeps Harry and Ron out and has... the most dad-like conversation ever. Don't expect me to cover up for you again, Harry. I cannot make you take Sirius Black seriously, but I would have thought that what you have heard when the Dementors draw near you would have had more of an effect on you. Your parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry. 
a poor way to repay them, gambling their sacrifice for a bag of magic tricks. Harry has heard many people being disappointed in him, I think, over the last couple of pages. But I think Lupin's words hurt him in a way that even Hagrid's didn't. I think Lupin is so effective at reasoning with Harry. Hermione uses the same parents angle about how his parents literally lost his life to keep him alive and he's gambling with his life but I think the timing was off but now Harry knows that he's made a mistake so when Lupin says that his parents gave up his life and Harry being careless is a really poor way to repay them it really affects Harry this is basically what Snape said too but as I mentioned it was not coming from a place of you know I care for you Whereas with Lupin, it's very apparent. And at this point, I think Lupin and Dumbledore are pretty much the two people that Harry respects the most. Disappointing them would make him feel really terrible. Yeah. I also just realized that Lupin is another adult who treats Harry like an adult, but not in the sense that he brings baggage to the situation. He just treats Harry like an equal. I still think that that's a respectful way of treating a student. No, I agree. I think Lupin treats him respectfully as a student and in an equal only in the sense that he doesn't shy away from having difficult conversations with him. But he's still aware, I think, whenever he talks to Harry that he is the adult there and Harry is his student. Yeah. He doesn't bring in any baggage to the conversations that he and Harry have. I don't think Harry and Ron feel as relieved as they would for getting out of this. Overall, they know that everything is a little messy. Lupin tells them that he knows that it's a map and he knows the creators. And let's just say that the creators would have loved to lure you out of the school. I think he also mentions how the last time people left information lying around, Sirius Black got into the Gryffindor common room. How can you carry something this important and not inform others? And that's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's a good point and also a good part to to Mr. Weasley's Line from book two. Never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. They're clearly not as jubilant for getting out of this. So Lupin takes back the map and Harry has left the invisibility cloak in the tunnel itself because he doesn't want to be caught with it. So overall, it was a disastrous trip to Hogsmeade. And once they get back, they take one look at Hermione, who's standing in front of the common room, and Ron is like, he immediately accuses her without like, without her even opening her mouth. Ron is like, oh, did you come to gloat? I know, right? Ron is unfairly horrible to Hermione, but Hermione is the one who decides to put their friendship first and like pushes past it to tell them that Hagrid lost the appeal. It's a very short scene, but a very sad scene. And I like that the news about Bugbeak's execution date being set finally makes Hermione realize how people actually feel about their pets. And she really apologizes to Ron. Yeah. And Ron is also like nice enough to brush away the scabbers bit by just being like, well, he was old, so it doesn't matter. It's a very tender scene. So whenever I read this book, every time I come to the part where Hermione and Ron fight, I would be like so frustrated. If they had just set aside their ego for a few minutes and apologized to each other, everything would be fine. Then I think about this scene. I love that it happens this way. And then I'm like, okay, for that to happen, this has to happen. So, yeah, I think about this particular scene a lot. 
well i don't because the following scene is my favorite scene in the whole book and in the movie actually i don't know what is so satisfying about it but i find it deeply satisfying yeah the main event of this episode happens malfoy comes and he mouths off about hagrid and for once harry and ron aren't the ones who are getting upset about it hermione reacts in this situation have you ever seen anything quite as pathetic said malfoy and he's supposed to be our teacher harry and ron both made furious moves towards malfoy but hermione got there first smack she had slapped malfoy around the face with all the strength she could muster she slaps malfoy which is the most unexpected thing i still remember the shock i felt when i read the book <laughs> the first time and then when it looks like malfoy is about to react she pulls out her wand she truly is the smart one because of all the interactions that harry ron and malfoy have had in the past whenever one of them acts in the offensive the other one never pulls out their wand like are you guys wizards or what they don't know much but when hermione pulls out her wand you know she means business you know that she can create real harm they just run away as soon as possible yeah also this didn't occur to me before but i just realized that malfoy knows that harry and ron were the ones who were playing tricks on him crab and goyle but makes no attempt to retaliate beyond just telling snape and even in this scene after hermione slaps malfoy he makes zero attempts to get back at hermione he's that kind of a bully he doesn't want problems <laughs> for himself yeah you're right i mean basically like once she slaps him and she pulls out her wand they just run away because they're like well yeah. i don't want to be part of the scene ron and harry are like astounded by what just happened <laughs> you only know what ron is feeling ron is astounded ron is astounded ron is like where is hermione when she is not in the charms class ron is like do you think malfoy got to her harry says nothing harry doesn't even make up with hermione ron does i understand okay harry has it's never acknowledged in the book but harry has trouble voicing things out he is not an emotional person and he cares a lot about what's happening to him because a lot of things happen to him There are very few instances where he really worries about what's happening to someone else. We know that Harry cares for Hermione. Given that in most instances Ron and Hermione are ready to even sacrifice their lives for Harry, I think Harry should at least like voice out sometimes that he cares for them. I agree with you. Hermione slapping Malfoy also, it's so unexpected, but it makes complete sense. Hermione has been under intense pressure this whole year. and she is finally starting to unravel and this is the meanest malfoy has been in all the years being willing to cause the death of an animal which he knows is not dangerous he is doing it only to make hagrid feel bad and thereby making harry and ron and hermione also feel bad and the base of all this is he looks down upon hagrid for his upbringing for his class and the way he imitates him the way he repeatedly gloats it makes it very apparent that he's purely doing it as a sport and you know that malfoy completely deserves it i agree that malfoy deserves it and then hermione starting to crack under the pressure it is super obvious especially when they go looking for her after the charms class and find out that she fell asleep on her homework which i don't think has ever happened then they go to divination where she's even more out of character while we were taking notes for this episode i really wanted to use hermione storms out of divination in the title alongside hermione slaps 
because both of these are equally out of character moments for Hermione which make total sense which also make you go like what is happening to her actually even before she storms out the three of them are attempting to crystal gaze and Ron makes a joke about the crystal ball and all of them laugh it just like made me feel so nice because they are finally back together and laughing at Ron's jokes i agree also it is quite a funny joke professor trelawney rustled past would anyone like me to help them interpret the shadowy portents within their orb she murmured over the clinking of her bangles I don't need help, Ron whispered. It's obvious what this means. There's going to be loads of fog tonight. I think Ron has the best jokes in divination. I completely agree and this one is like quite a cracker. But also like the whole point of crystal gazing seems pretty dumb. You have a crystal and you're looking into it, you might see something or you might not see something. And I thought Hermione has like a very good point about the divination exam. Why does Professor Trelawney need to use the inner eye to find out what is going to be part of the exam? she sets the exam <laughs> of course she knows what's a part of it it's just like astrology right there will always be people who believe in it but yeah hermione does something that i don't think i could ever do or even like imagine doing and something that i wouldn't have even thought hermione would do like in the last book right because she knew that lockhart wasn't completely truthful about his exploits i'm sure at some point she was able to figure out that he's all gas no the thing is she doesn't she doesn't figure it out until the end and probably that changed her world view but clearly that experience has had such a big impact on her that when professor trelawney says that you know i have never seen someone as mundane as you she's just like okay you know what i don't have the time to waste on this stuff i could be learning cheering chops and she leaves the class forever like she never comes back she just drops the subject that is so <laughs> cool yeah When I first read it, this is exactly what I felt. That is so cool. Seriously, just the ability to like drop a subject, just the confidence with which you know that you this is hogwash. I'm not going to waste my time on this, and to commit to it and follow through without worrying that at some point what if this backfires on me or anything. Hermione is really growing up, and it's one of the most underrated or like less discussed thing. because you clearly know when harry is going through his troubled phase as a teenager you clearly know when ron is going through it but hermione it's like she still has to be the more responsible one of the three but her viewpoint like with every book it keeps changing and it's a very interesting shift and it's so muted this is probably the only very overt display of her growth that we see this is definitely the most overt manifestation of her growth I think Hermione leaves divination just in time for Easter which Lavender uses to confirm a prediction that Trelawney made all the way at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, classes will be disrupted in February by a nasty bout of flu. I myself will lose my voice and around Easter one of our number will leave us forever. Another one of those quasi hokey oh maybe she was right all this time kind of prediction. I was surprised to find out that they have Easter holidays but they're just days without classes and they have homework. Sounds pretty sad, honestly. All holidays have homework. Christmas break and all they go home, right? Quite literally. Easter break they let seem to hang around the castle. Ron uses his time to work on the appeal. One of the books that he reads is called Foul F O W L or Foul F O U L, <laughs> a study of hippogriff brutality. I like the description. He's so focused on helping Hagrid that he even forgot to be horrible to Crookshanks. 
and then harry is facing a whole other set of pressures on his own the quidditch final is rapidly approaching and he has to play the slytherin team who are 200 points above them in the table and they really have to beat them with like more than 200 points or else they might win the match but they might lose the cup and i think that it also gets to everybody like a lot of gryffindors are also under pressure and there is this description which says you're going to be fine hermione told him though she looked positively terrified i imagine these things okay i don't know about how you read or like how generally people read what i do is i like to imagine every little detail mm-hmm. it's exhausting it actually sometimes suck the fun out of the whole reading process because you realize that in most situations what people are saying and how they are described to be reacting they don't match mm-hmm. even in your imagination it will be very hard to put that expression and that dialogue together it's a really terrible way to read i wouldn't recommend it but yeah this is what i do that does sound pretty exhausting i'm afraid i'm one of those skim readers no matter how much time i have always like speeding through the book descriptions na no one wants to read you <laughs> this is why sometimes i don't read character descriptions and i won't remember what a person like is supposed to look like until their physical description becomes like an actual plot point i only pay attention during murder mysteries because i know that sometimes the authors hint at it by just using like silhouettes and all and so i'll be like yes blonde hair yes i remember this person i usually do this on my second or third reading and when i really like the book so what happens is when you find these things where what the character is doing doesn't really feel like something a normal person would do you would realize that the author is just another person they might not have like acted it out while they were writing it when you imagine it this way you don't have room for disbelief at all then you'll kind of like the book less <laughs> the sad part of being a reader yeah i guess so yeah quidditch obviously a quidditch match especially something as important as the final of the quidditch cup where gryffindor is playing means that wood has gone nuts Oliver Wood was crouched over a model of a Quidditch pitch in the corner, prodding little figures across it with his wand and muttering to himself. As the days progress and they are getting closer to the day of the finals, things start to get really messy and nasty. There are instances where the Slytherin and the Gryffindor teams are like attacking each other. So on the day of the match, there is another Woodism. <laughs> he is asking his team to eat when he himself doesn't touch any of the food. and then even before they finish the food he'll hurry them off to the pitch i actually get that a little bit i'm definitely one of those people who before like there's some kind of event like whether it's an exam or even like a important meeting types i cannot eat i will not eat that whatever meal is before it i will not be eating it it's like i want nothing in my stomach of course that is completely understandable i love harry's dreams the night before the match they are so normal malfoy comes riding dragons they are such a normal teenager teenage type of dreams like he has the same kind of performance anxiety dreams that everybody has before something important so his dream actually says that malfoy has ridden dragons to the match and he is trying to escape dragon fire do you think it's like major foreshadowing i think this is just harry associating malfoy with a dragon because his first name is draco which is literally dragon i feel like maybe jk rowling got the idea for the dragon chasing scene of the fourth book from this dream sequence she wrote maybe that's entirely possible when the match is about to start 
Harry notices that there are a lot of new additions to the Slytherin lineup and Lee Jordan thinks that they probably went more based on size than skill why would any team change their lineup for the finals well their whole game plan was to play dirty so obviously they just went for like big and bulky because if you're going to have strategies like literally hold on to someone's broom so that they can't fly you need to be big hmm. yeah but then they can't possibly think that that would work i feel like more than the first two books in this book the slytherins are just caricatures of a really evil or really dumb people i agree especially in this particular match some of the fouls that happen are ridiculous i think in one instance one of the slytherin players flies towards katie bell and instead of seizing the quaffle seizes her head instead like really you're confusing the big red ball with a person's head i think this is the point where madam who should have really wished for a football like rule in a quidditch match where you could send off players the minute they commit some kind of fouls because the slytherins outdo themselves in the kinds of fouls that they are trying to commit in the match it's like they're trying to set a new world record for the number of fouls in a match <laughs> yeah we spoke about the weasley twins's participation and their strategy in the last episode or something and we thought that maybe their defense is the best offense but i think in this one they are mentioned multiple times about how they are attacking the sridharan team members everybody's actions are described unlike other matches it reminds me of the first ever quidditch match that harry played because i think it's such a big dramatic match i did not actually make a lot of notes because it's all about the excitement it's all about just the joy of playing quidditch for the gryffindors and it's all about like being dumb and evil for the sridharans <laughs> and it's all about like good versus evil and the good triumphs no matter what everybody's contribution is mentioned very clearly obviously harry has more contribution he has more hurdles and thereby he has more contributions but i was not very satisfied with the way he caught the snitch because it was purely based on fireball's ability yeah he literally outflies malfoy but when they actually win it's amazing to see everybody's reaction obviously the team is going to be overjoyed would literally sobs because that's his final year <laughs> Percy is jumping up and down which is very uncharacteristic of him. McGonagall is crying too. And for a moment you forget everything about the plot. You are just in this moment with them, just like them. You're swept up. And then JKR neatly brings us back to reality by saying the mentors are still around and Harry was so happy that if he were to produce a Petronas right then he would have probably produced the world's best one this moment where harry wins the quidditch cup is a highlight of the book for me purely because it's been set up all the way from book 1 with people mentioning the quidditch cup and gryffindor has come so close now and and then in book 2 when they couldn't because quidditch got cancelled and then book 3 when they lose the first match and you think okay they're out of the running for the quidditch cup but then they win even though it's not mentioned super actively it feels very earned Yeah. There are so many things that Harry can't control and there are so many things he can't overcome. He cannot control how serious Black is coming after him. He can't control how people are like boxing him into place with all these security measures, but you know he can't control this. And this is something where he has won. His abilities have helped him like do what he wants to do. So it feels like really like glorious and amazing and I genuinely love this point of the book. When I think about what is my favorite Harry Potter book, this Quidditch final is one of the reasons that The Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> But it is a great point. I think that is finally something that Harry is able to control. It's very funny that Malfoy's contribution is close to nothing. Yeah. 
he holds on to Harry's broom and makes a fall. That's it. Yeah. There's this very cute moment where right before the match starts, Cho Chang's like, good luck, Harry. And it's all gooey. Yeah. But I do want to go back to Malfoy. I was actually surprised that Malfoy was allowed to play in this match after what he did at the previous yeah. Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw match. I would have expected that he not be allowed. But I guess Snape won against McGonagall. Yeah. And apparently he probably played in two more matches, right? Before they got to the finals. Yeah. We never see the matches that Malfoy is able to win. Yes. We only ever see the matches where Harry is playing. And Harry always wins when Malfoy is there. You know what? I think Harry also only ever sees the matches that Harry is playing in. Yeah, I don't think Harry ever goes to a match where he's not playing. So self-involved. I think he's such a star. He's <laughs> not in for the game. He's in it for himself. Yeah. So it's not bad. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can follow this podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. We're MimbleWimblePod. You can also, of course, follow us on our personal social media handles. I'm Vale Andechim on Twitter and Prashanti is underscore Empress. You can also leave us ratings and comments on iTunes and Spotify or whatever app you're using to listen to the podcast. That would really help us. Yes. You can also alternatively visit our website, mimblewimble.in and leave a comment there in our comment section. That would also really excite us. We really love to read what our listeners think about some of the points that we are making. So if you agree with us, disagree with us, if you think we are dumb, <laughs> if you think we are smart, please let us know because it really makes our day. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then. You'll need to get up earlier than that to beat a firebolt.